The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Sport Fox. Here are your headlines. Mixed messages from The Hill, Fed Chair Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin give different assessments of the speed of the recovery as they defend their stimulus measures against criticism of helping Wall Street over Main Street. Main Street is in a class by itself, really. It's a very uh, diverse, uh, small, medium and large companies, very different industries, very different credit uh, needs, some of them asset-based, some of them cash flow-based, so it's a really complex undertaking. Meanwhile, the Congressional Budget Office warns of a 40% hit to GDP for the second quarter of the year, driving a $2 trillion deficit. As a result, the Treasury is reviving a bond we haven't seen since the 1980s. Questions over the early trial results from Moderna's potential COVID-19 vaccine erode gains on Wall Street, breaking a three-day winning streak for major U.S. indices. Big retail also gets a beating on Wall Street as Home Depot sees higher costs eat into net income, while Walmart fails to hold on to earner gains despite seeing online sales soar amid unprecedented demand. We are going to be waiting for M&S to post results here in the UK as we stand by for those numbers. Rolling out a retail business, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg takes on Amazon boss Jeff Bezos as the social media giant pushes into online shopping, allowing its users to set up digital storefronts. Chair Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin both defended the U.S. government's $3 trillion stimulus measures to fight the economic fallout from coronavirus. But the pair gave contrasting forecasts for the domestic economy in the first of what will be a quarterly testimony before the Senate Banking Committee on the CARES Act. Powell struck the more cautious tone of the two, insisting the Fed would adjust the terms of its lending program as more of the pandemic's economic effects become clear. But he stressed lending to a smaller business was far more complex than the Fed's usual facilities, indicating that it was tough to get money to Main Street. Main Street is in a class by itself, really. It's a very uh, diverse, uh, small, medium and large companies, very different industries, with very different credit uh, needs, some of them asset-based, some of them cash flow-based, so it's a really complex undertaking. Steve Mnuchin, meanwhile, warned the U.S. economy faces permanent damage if it remained closed for too long. When challenged on whether the government was being too restrictive in its lending to businesses, Mnuchin insisted Treasury was even prepared to take a loss on its loans. The way these facilities work is in the facilities that don't have any credit risk, such as the PPP. I approve those without capital allocated. By definition, any facility that the Fed believes puts them at risk, I do put up capital. So by definition, that capital is at risk. And we are fully prepared to take losses in certain scenarios on that capital. 
A quick look at how we're shaping up on Treasuries this morning. A little bit of risk off uh, is the tone on markets more broadly. That's impacted uh, the yields, which have pushed below that 0.70 level again on that 10-year yield, as you can see, declining. But across the board, as investors seek some safety in bonds in this uh, early part of the session. Now, the U.S. government will issue a 20-year bond today for the first time since 1986. The move makes up part of its efforts to finance a record deficit, which could climb to $3.8 billion this year, according to a budget watchdog. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said the government will issue more long-duration paper, having considered 50 and even 100-year bonds, but was advised that there wouldn't be enough demand for them, Jeff. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating story, isn't it? And um, I think in this period, we're inevitably going to see all sorts of creativity as governments have to think about how they fund these new programs. And I think it was instructive coming out of that session yesterday that we heard Steve Mnuchin effectively talking about how they can extend the payroll support program. But Karen, I just wanted to highlight a a couple of other things here. While we've got the opportunity, uh, while we're waiting to chat to Peter Toogood, I thought just just worth picking out a couple of stories that piqued my interest this morning. And one is obviously retail. We're going to spend a lot of time on retail. And I thought the messaging coming from Urban Outfitters was very bleak. That $1.41 loss that they reported there. And it wasn't just the fact that they said it was challenging running merchandising through the stores, but the fact that they also talked about doubtful accounts potentially from some of the wholesalers that they supply to. And that again just raises the bar in terms of where we need to look at businesses and where they're encountering areas of distress. And the other thing is, if this is such a terrific bull run that we're having here, albeit potentially a bear market bull at the moment, uh, why is Dan Loeb taking back control of his hedge fund at this stage after recently handing it over to a to a colleague, the the hedge fund, of course, nursing a 10% loss at the moment in full year 2020 and um, have seen uh, at least um, uh, $2 billion worth of funds exit as they've experienced that loss. So I know we're going to talk a lot about the uh, the recent Bank of America survey of fund managers, but I just thought fascinating that some of these uh, hedge fund managers are challenged at this point. Well, Peter, I I think we can join you now. So thanks so much for making time for us today. And I just wanted to start with you uh, on that issue of the fund manager survey here. It does feel as though um, there is a wide swathe of the professional community at the moment that sees this only as a bear market rally at this point. But what does that tell us about the way that they intend to negotiate their investments over the next few weeks and months? Yeah, morning, Jeff. Um, Exactly that. Um, The earnings vacuum um, creates the scenario in which um, they're nervous. There's there's no question that's the case. And that doesn't matter whether you're a bond or equity fund manager. Um, I know it's a pat phrase, but solvency has been the primary concern for both equity and bond managers. So I would say there's been an upgrade to their portfolios. If you define upgrade as companies with strong balance sheets, uh, possibly net cash on the balance sheet, ideally, and access to credit. 
and I think that's been the three drivers. And, and in most cases, they've obviously been able to do that. Um, you've been able to get away um, rights issues in equity markets. You've been able to issue bonds uh, quite readily. The new issue market, particularly in, in credit, is very, very strong. Uh, the calendar is very strong, and, and people have been taking out the primary issuance. So the navigation has been uh, to focus on companies bolstering um, their positions for what is an unknown, which is the next three to six months of what is the level of the economic activity. Um, we, we started with a zero revenue line for some many companies. Um, that will obviously change uh, notionally as, as lockdown, at least this phase, eases. And it's the bridge between A and B that they're mostly focusing on. It's meant that fund managers who have been heavily focused on disruption, on growth companies, have remained there. If anything, there's, there's a belief that those trends have been reinforced by this lockdown, leaving the value managers that those have been trying to focus on um, cheaper stocks, um, struggling. Um, the value has been an atrocious place to be, um, both in January and February, and indeed in March and April in the recovery. Um, and in credit, the, the credit quality continues um, to push up, um, mostly... Uh, Peter? Yes. Peter, very good morning to you. Um, we all think that this market looks frothy, given what is going to happen to the economy for the rest of this year and possibly for the next couple of years as well. But I can afford to do that as a journalist. You can afford to do that as an observer as well. But fund managers have to do something with their money, regardless of how frothy, exuberant, overly optimistic this market looks. They've got to do something. They can't just sit on the sidelines for the rest of the year. Or can they? No, no. Well, first of all, I mean, I think I was last on just before the 19th of March. And um, from that perspective, I remember reciting the fact that, you know, actually UK, European and rest of world equities weren't frothy. They weren't on crisis multiples. But as Stephen, I think the, uh, the UK all share was just, just about 11 times. Um, that, that's not expensive. The, the bugbear remains the US. So, no, the answer to your question is no one is holding, none of them are holding cash if they're running relative products. You're absolutely correct. And most of the world is relative long. In other words, they have to be invested and they have to be to benchmark. So um, what I would say within it is that if there is a bias, the bias has been to uh, focus a little bit more on your Tesco and a little bit less on your deep cyclical. And the one thing that's been interesting in this entire piece is, is the financials, which have been wholesale appalling. I mean, the banks um, have been dreadful um, and they continue to be pretty dreadful. And if we're going to have negative interest rates in, uh, pushed into the whole of the world, I, I can't see them. <laughs> Um, looking any more compelling. So, yes, they have to be invested. They're holding the nose, Stephen, because if they're supposed to be fundamental investors, which they are, and they're supposed to focus on the earnings, both the quality and the long-term nature of those earnings, um, it is very difficult uh, to get enthusiastic at this point because the revenue line, not just the earnings line, the revenue line is, uh, is an unknown in most cases. Not every case, obviously, not your supermarket. 60% of the UK economy is open as, as we stand here today, and that's gradually opening up more and more. But if you're an airline, if you're in travel, if you're in any of the hospitality areas, if you're in anything with second and third order effects off the back of that, it's been more challenging. But interestingly, and I, I, I send those notes across to you, both of you, managers have not been doing violent surgery on their portfolios either. Again, to reinforce the point, you were here before February and March started. You were either value manager who thought the financials were cheap or you're someone who continued to want to purchase Amazon. So um, I, it, there has not been radical surgery. Unlike 08, when there were opportunities galore um, and managers were changing portfolios, there's been no aggressive change to this, uh, to their portfolios at this point exception there being bond managers who have definitely improved the quality of, 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 of what they're buying. They're buying higher grade bonds.
Peter, one of the reasons why investors got back involved in the market so quickly was the amount of stimulus coming into the system. We saw it through the CARES Act and uh, we've seen it through other measures from the Fed and more globally from central banks also reducing monetary policy and throwing more QE at the system. What does that mean down the track, though? Because clearly it feels as though there's more coming again. The United States is talking about another $3 trillion in stimulus measures. We're still waiting it out here in Europe. Does that mean we get um, so much stimulus at the system that we do minimise some of the damage come 2021? Well, interesting you say, Cam. First point you made, investors got back involved. Actually, very few did. If you look at the trends... Well, question we're asking every manager since since the, literally February is, what has your flow been in your funds? And actually, in, for the active funds, it's been quite negligible. It has been the passive passive managers who've benefited. It has been individual retail investors who've been buying en masse. And it's been some of the macro and, and CTAs, so the systematic strategies, who have been buying this marketplace. Um, so... Interestingly, again, the pros have not wanted and been excited by the possibilities. I think in Europe and the rest of the world, possibly. But again, the US, the big daddy, has, has, has been expensive and remains expensive. The answer to your question on the stimulus, that's the bridge. That's the gap between the two. Um, and, and so managers are staying involved, Karen, because it is the tug of war between uh, the stimulus and the fundamentals. The fundamentals are going to stink. There is no question the earnings are going to be extremely challenging. Um, and, and the bridge is the, is the fiscal stimulus. And that is why there is this situation, as Steve alluded to, managers are staying invested. Because why should they know the answer to that question? Either why should any of us know the answer to the question as to whether the fiscal stimulus is sufficient size to overwhelm what is an unparalleled uh, crisis in the sense of revenues disappearing, something that has not happened for over 100 years. No one has ever been prepared for this thing. So we're working out whether we have to dismiss just this year's earnings or if this is coming back again and we have to start dismissing 2021 earnings and you have to ask yourself the question about why well, buying the us forward here pe the highest ever by the way <laughs> pe for the united states equities is the right thing to do and the answer to that is against the backdrop of stimulus managers are just going to literally hold the line and basically see what happens because how do they know if we have to start dismissing 2021's earnings as well if this comes back if we have a second go at this, then those multiples aren't the right multiples. If it isn't coming back, the fiscal stimulus creates the bridge, and in fact, we're probably clear. And that's the right. thing they're wrestling with. Peter, very much appreciate the perspective. Thank you so much for joining us today. Peter Tugood, Managing Director and CIO at the Embark Group. Now, for more on the U.S. economy, our colleague states I will be speaking to Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan at 14.45 CET, so tune in for that. In the meantime, I want to take you to one stock that's been moving the markets, and Moderna initially very strong reaction for the markets as it unveiled the early stage results of its phase one trial. But there's been some pushback in medical journals, and you can see what the stock has been doing. The company effectively came out with a media report and uh, some are saying it blitzed the media, but it revealed very little information. This was recorded in a publication called Stat. It's just casting doubt over just how early these results are, saying very little information. Keep in mind it was mostly words, not data. And when the scientists take a look at this information, they're looking at the data, not the commentary that comes with it. Also, something that also captured my attention yesterday was we were talking about these results, about eight volunteers that had shown antibodies. We know that the the trial involved 45. So what happened to the remaining 37 participants? And this was raised by a stat. We still don't have the results of those 37 other participants in the trial, which is certainly very key to understanding just how significant these results are for Moderna. And you can see the stock price reversing at 10%. Also for US markets that had rallied a fairly long way on the back of these early stage results and hopes that there was a vaccine potentially on the horizon, if not from Moderna, from one of the other main players in the pharma space. But you can see markets just giving back a little bit of territory 
particularly for the Dow, which was the big mover a day earlier, pulling back by 1.6%, 1% off the S&P, a little bit more contained, as you can see, for the Nasdaq. In terms of stocks moving, Home Depot was one of the stocks that had the most impact on the Dow. As we've got a bit of a look and see at the retail space, very mixed numbers from the sector from Home Depot right across to Walmart, which, of course, fared much better during the pandemic crisis. Bit of a challenger to the likes of Amazon on the discretionary space, but also uh, in terms of of groceries that benefited from that effect. Uh, Microsoft having the big imp- negative impact for both the S&P and the Nasdaq. U.S. banks, another big feature of markets that we saw reversal across the charts. Bank of America, 3.1% down. Steeper losses for Wells Fargo. This is we saw the defense on the hill from Steven Mnuchin and Jay Parth. All the measures they've brought back into the system tried to stem the, the downward pressure we're seeing on the economy. But the realization of those unemployment levels that we're watching, 9% through till next year, those are the average that have been forecast by the Congressional Budget Office. That was a bit of a damp squib for the markets, as you can see, for the banking trade. Now, U.S. futures, this is how we're setting up for the trading session. A little bit of green anticipated to move back onto the boards this morning, and we'll continue to check on how this board shapes up for you throughout the morning here in Europe. Steve, let me toss it over to you. Thanks, Karen. Well, we're down at uh, Victoria Station taking a look at the activity, but also taking a look, as you can see over my left shoulder, at Marks and Spencers. We're going to take a look at the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on UK retail scene as well. And we're going to preview the Marks and Spencers full-year figures when we return with Jeff, Karen and myself on Scorebox. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Facebook is taking on Amazon by launching a new online shopping venture, allowing businesses to display and sell their products on the social media giant's platforms. The shops service will create digital storefronts on Facebook and Instagram and allow users to browse products, message vendors and buy things directly through a checkout feature. It will also give the company access to fresh data on its 2.6 billion users. Founder Mark Zuckerberg says the move is aimed at taking advantage of the current surge in online shopping. Walmart saw a record 74% surge in online sales in the first quarter as customers stockpiled goods in March and April amid the pandemic. The U.S. retailer brought in over $134 billion in revenues, meeting expectations. This is its saw, quote, unprecedented demand for household essentials. Yet Walmart executives predicted consumer spending would fall in the second half of the year, prompting the company to pull its four-year forecast. The stock made early gains but rolled over late in the U.S. session. And just a reminder that our U.S. colleagues will be speaking exclusively to Walmart CEO Doug McMillan, that at 1400 CET. Well, the shares in Home Depot, they fell after first quarter profits were weighed down by costs related to the coronavirus pandemic. The U.S. home improvement chain spent around 
$850 million on boosting wages and extra workspace measures, adding that it was scrapping its four-year outlook. And um, what jumps out to me that you're seeing mixed fortunes again across the retail sector, very much like the good times, the bad times, doesn't change that picture. But what does jump out is that the likes of Walmart got that Tesco, Sainsbury's effect, the hoarding, all of the, the pasta and toilet rolls that people wanted to stockpile. That was brought forward and the company was saying it would normally sell uh, over two or three days what it sold in two to three hours at the business. So clearly real changes in, in the amount of um, money that's ticking over at the tills and higher basket numbers as well. But uh, down the track, whether there's going to be that slump, and I think all of the retailers, even here in the UK, are concerned that you'll see a reset of those consumer patterns later this year. Jeff. Yeah, I just wanted to focus on the interconnectedness, really, of this uh, industry, particularly when it comes to apparel here. And Karen, as I said, I was looking at the Urban Outfitters numbers and they were pretty dreadful. But what really stuck out to me was the way they talked about some other parts of their business and the supply chain and the wholesaler interconnectedness and the doubtful accounts that they were concerned about. Uh, and it, it's a story that may not have grabbed the attention of uh, a lot of our European viewers, but I just want to go back over it because on Friday, a major Japanese apparel business renown actually filed for bankruptcy protection with debts of 130 million dollars here now they're part of the big chinese apparel conglomerate shandong rui and shandong rui actually owes money uh, to renown and renown will be partly known in the west i guess because at once they they did own aquascutum but the reality is that this is a supply chain business that runs all the way up and down from the uh, people who are making the clothes right through to the stores ultimately where they're being sold. And if we are going to see pockets of doubtful business in all elements of that supply chain, it raises a lot of, con a lot of issues about how quickly Many of these businesses may be able to recover if they can recover. And how many more of them, of course, are going to go to the wall? Because maybe they can still sell the merchandise through different channels, but ultimately other connected uh, customers will not be able to pay back what they owe here. So there are a lot of moving parts for this industry at the moment. And it's not clear to me that we won't see some more failures like Neiman Marcus and like J. Crew before we're all said and done here. Steve. Uh, Jeff, I, I, I'm sorry. It is clear to you and it's clear to me and it's clear to Karen. There will be a lot more crises, a lot more companies going to war. I think, I think if anything, we're being polite about this. It's a terrible situation, but we know a lot of these companies are going to war. I, I've got backup for this as well. Pinium CEBR says one in 10 retail companies in the UK, which is around about 510,000 businesses. 510,000 businesses face imminent insolvency uh, and a lot more uh, are struggling as well. And I'll just talk about one other side of the equation before I move on to Marks and Spencers, because we talked very much about the supply of products in the market. Uh, and Cameron was talking about the retail sector. You were talking about the international perspective as well. COVID-19 has cost more than 33 million American jobs so far. 33 million jobs, 10% of the entire US population in the last seven weeks. The UK yesterday had the biggest claimant count increase on record as well, with over 800 
100,000 jobs lost. 10 million people in the UK uh, are on some form of furlough or government support as well. In the US and the UK economies especially, and I'll use those two as an example, around about 60 to 70% of the economy uh, is service and consumer facing. If you lose that number of jobs, then of course the demand, regardless of what you've got on furlough, regardless what you've got on rates and negative rates, and we can talk about that later on, will be lost and there will be massive problems as well. Which brings me back to Marks and Spencers. And we've talked about Marks and Spencers, all of us, for a couple of decades here. And I'll just recap the longer term story because it's important to realize this crisis is part of a longer term trend. M&S, at their height in 2004-2005, when Stuart Rose came in to rescue the company from the grips of Philip Green, traded at its high of £7 sterling. Before the crisis this year, i.e. this year's high share price was £2.16. Pence. One of the last prints I saw in the last 24 hours was 84 pence. So we're talking about a precipitous decline over a multi-decade period as well. Which brings us forward to what Steve Rowe is going to tell us in full-year numbers today. And I've got an M&S behind me as well. Uh, cut a long story short, they've already, as Karen's been talking about earlier this year, cut their £130 million dividend this year. They're going to probably cut the £210 million dividend next year. They've taken out a lot of uh, uh, discretionary costs. There's been pay freezes. They've furloughed some staff as well. But Steve Rowe is looking at the end of lockdown recovery plan. And that's what we want to hear from the CEO today. Plus, of course, uh, they've got their online delivery launch, their tie-up with Ocado as well. That starts potentially in September or was due to start as well. So how is the recovery going to start? And again, we'll go back to the conversation we had with Peter Tugard. Does 84p represent an opportunity or is it a value trap? And we can talk about the automakers, we can talk about the airlines and the travel stocks. Perhaps we need to put the likes of the apparel retailers that you were talking about there, Jeff and Karen, in this context as well. It feels as though that launch with Ocado can't come quick enough for M&S. But as I was pointing out at the start of the conversation, what comes later on this year? Do you see a real change in the purchases of groceries that have been very, very high because people have been locked in the house and they've changed those patterns? And does it start to slump later in the year when M&S gets this deal with Ocado launched? So that'll be interesting to see and whether other parts of M&S can compensate to the uh, clothing and homewares department. I know it's been hard hit in the last few months. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.